All right. Good morning, everyone. You are currently listening to CFRC 101.9 FM here in Kingston. Uh, and we've actually got a new program running for the winter semester of 2018. Um, you are currently listening to Today in Tech. So Today in Tech is primarily a talk show that discusses the up-and-coming trends in technology. Um, we interview software engineers that are in the industry. We'll be talking with young entrepreneurs that have created software as a service. Uh, we'll also be talking to um, people who don't necessarily have a tech background but are interested in seeing the other side of the coin, you know, how tech affects social practices within the world, how tech affects, you know, government practices. So it's more just of understanding how technology has come to dominate the 21st century. Um, <clears throat> that being said, I will be your host for this program. My name is Chris Malte. Uh, I am a computer engineer at Queen's University in my third year. Um, a little bit about me, I uh, worked for a bit, I did an internship, um, I have a bit of industry experience. I also love traveling. Uh, I did an exchange in Singapore last semester, so just in the fall here, um, and I got the opportunity to backpack in Vietnam, in Cambodia, um, etc., and just see Southeast Asia in general. So that was a fantastic opportunity, but I'm happy to be back in Kingston and happy to be supplying uh, a wonderful program with you all. Um, that's a bit about myself, that's a bit about the show, and luckily, luckily enough for us, we actually got a guest to come on for our first episode. Uh, lucky for us, she drove up all the way from Kingston to come here and get, or sorry, all the way from Ottawa uh, to come get interviewed here in Kingston uh, on Today in Tech. Um, so that being said, I'll let her introduce herself. Mairead, would you like to tell us a bit about you? Yeah, uh, so my name is Mairead. Um I go to the University of Ottawa and I'm in the Public Administration Political Science program over there. Uh, so today I think I'm going to be giving a little bit of a policy perspective on some big tech issues in the world. Uh, for me, uh, I love to travel too, but I guess who doesn't? Um, it's been a really good year. was also on an exchange program in the fall and also good to be back in Canada, a little cold, um, <laughs> especially today here in Kingston. Um, but yeah, I'm happy to be on the program for my very first talk show. All right. Thank well, you, Chris. Yeah, we, we won't bite. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the topic of today's episode is going to revolve around the financial, uh, the government, and the corporate institutions that are being increasingly affected by um, technologies such as big data. And particularly in this show, we're going to be talking about distributed ledger technologies, so i.e. blockchains. Um, is the hype word that everyone knows. So we'll be discussing the implications of these technologies with regards to both financial policies that Mairead is going to kill, um, <laughs> which can yield some unease as most people are kind of torn. When, when you say, you know, blockchain, you kind of think of Bitcoin and et cetera. And most people are torn between these black market scandals of Silk Road and, um, oh my God, you're buying drugs with, 
this fake money. Um, and kind of the other side of the coin or the Bitcoin here, <laughs> um, which is the, the release of the centralized corporate grip. Uh, where we have these institutions like the banks and like the government that are fully in control and these people and these citizens are are, are kind of coming up and uprising and creating their own way of um, delegating value, as you could say. It's kind of like the whole anonymous movement or uh, the Guy Fairy masks, etc. Um, but I mean, those are the two opposite ends of the spectrum. So it leaves the vast majority of us enthusiasts or the people that just want to progress tech and and help people you know um we're kind of left in the middle uh, with no clear understanding of direction i mean whether it's corporate leadership or or financial leadership we're we're kind of just stuck in the middle here <clears throat> so that being said uh i'll give a little bit of an introduction to what blockchain is um because i know it's it's a pretty new thing and some people don't really have a firm grasp of what it is, so I, I'd like to make it a little more tangible for listeners. Um, that way they're not scared from, from this hype and they have a little bit of knowledge in the area. So that being said, um, a blockchain is, is basically an incorruptible, um, continuously growing digital ledger or basically a record book of economic transactions that can be programmed to record not just financial transactions, so those economic transactions, but basically anything of value. Um, so that's a bit abstract, but we'll dive into it a little bit. So these records, these records, which we can call blocks, basically, are linked um, and secured to each other using cryptography. So each block, I'm going to get a little technical right now, but we'll dive back out after. So each block contains a hash pointer as a link to a previous block. Um, it contains a timestamp, so when that block was created and brought into the world, as well as transaction data within the block. So it's composed of basically three things. Um, and by design, blockchains are inherently resistant uh, to modification of the data within it. So that, that transaction that's stuck in the block sorry, excuse me, or um, basically, yeah, basically stuck in that block can't be modified at all, but either internally or externally. <clears throat> so as opposed to centralized networks, where the servers powering a network are stored in a small collection of overly protected, yet somehow um, overly vulnerable servers, as we can tell from like Yahoo hacks and other big corporate hacks, um, Blockchains are the basis for decentralized networks. So you can think of each computer that's running this network being another small node in a big interconnected mesh, letting the processing, um, the processing of your computer uh, basically power this network together. So obviously with millions of people, it isn't realistic to power a network with one or two personal computers, but if you think of the power of millions of computers and their own graphical processing units, which gives you those pretty colors on your screen. Um, and the combination of all that processing power to, to create this mesh network has actually been proven to work. So for use as a distributed ledger, um, the blockchains, which like I said, are just peer-to-peer -peer networks, follow the rules of a protocol for validating new blocks that come onto the chain. Once they're recorded, the data in any given block can't be altered, like I said, without 
the additional changing of all the previous blocks in this chain, as well as all the future blocks. So that's a lot of processing power that needs to be done. And this requires 51% majority across all the nodes running on the network. So 51% of all of these personal computers that are running the entire length of the blockchain need to all agree that if you want to hack, that this hack had actually happened within the network and wasn't just some sort of injection. So this security property is inherent to the cryptographic chain relationship um, and doesn't itself require or result in a cryptocurrency. So that's not what cryptocurrency is. That's called blockchain, which is the technology behind this cryptocurrency craze. So it's important to uh, differentiate the both of those. Um, this basically makes blockchain, so the blockchain technology, suitable for uh, things like the recording of events. For medical records, they're immutable, they can't be changed, they're there, they're transparent for everyone. Um, and other records management activities, such as identity management, uh, transaction processing, um, food traceability, you want to know where your food came from, as well as voting. I believe voting will be a huge thing in the next couple of years with this blockchain technology. Uh, the first blockchain was conceptualized in 2008 by an anonymous person or group known as Satoshi Nakamoto and was implemented in 2009 as a core component of Bitcoin where it serves as the public ledger for all transactions. I actually have a little interesting fact there about Satoshi Nakamoto. Nakamoto. What's that? Um, so yes, he was the anonymous creator of Bitcoin. Um, the infamous, and basically he encoded uh, a headline from the Times of London, so you could think of the Times as like the London's New York Times, right. in the very first block of transactions ever created. So when they were decoded, they revealed a message. Um, the message read, The Times, the 3rd of January 2009 headline, Chancellor on brink of second bailout for banks. And I guess the, if it was a group or if it was a guy, whoever created Bitcoin was trying to uh, harness blockchain's technology and was trying to create an environment there of criticizing the institutional banks and their close relationships with the government um, right off the bat. So that right. speaks to a lot of the Bitcoin movement on one side of the... Right. I mean, as Chris said earlier. Right. I'm seeing a lot of those guy fairy masks coming, those gay <laughs> fairy masks. Um, that's crazy, yeah. So anyways, that's an awesome fact, Maraid. Where, where, where did you learn that fact? The internet. Uh, Well-sourced, don't worry. Ah, uh, the, the wonderful technology. Bloomberg's, I think. <laughs> anyways, uh, the invention of blockchain for Bitcoin made it the first currency to solve the double spending problem um, without the need of a trusted authority or a central server. So the double spending problem was basically with the internet where we've gotten this fact um, and a bunch of other things what happens and especially on computers what happens is when you copy a file from one local computer and you send it to another one you're not you're not sending the actual file you're creating a copy of that file and sending it to the person so so it used to be that that one uh that one asset or that one digital file is now two digital files. Um, so that has always been an issue in financial in the financial domain of um, 
of digital currency. So now that we have blockchains, essentially that's been solved. And you don't need that middleman to validate and say, hey, you sent one file or you sent $100 and I'm saying, yes, that's a validation. And now I've removed $100 from your bank account. You know, that's kind of how the banks play into our society these days. They are those central middlemen that we trust and that um, essentially validate the transactions of what's going on. Um, so this Bitcoin design has been an inspiration for many other applications. Uh, you might have heard of the term cryptocurrencies. So cryptocurrencies are basically uh, digital or virtual currencies that are encrypted and secured using cryptography. So um, Bitcoin was the first decentralized cryptocurrency on the blockchain, but many others have come to rise, such as Ethereum, whose network acts as a platform to build other decentralized applications, as opposed to Bitcoin, whose network is primarily for financial transactions. Um, that's a bit of the basis of the technical, the technical aspect of uh, what we'll be discussing today. And um, I guess now we can kind of dive into, Maraid, what... What are the implications for these technologies nowadays? I mean, how are governments handling it? Are they up to speed? Are they nipping these technological movements at the bud? Or are they kind of playing catch up? What's going on? So there's a few different uh, takes on on the market, um, depending on what countries you're in. A lot of Asia is very skeptical. Um, with a rising economy, they want to make sure... Um, there's no bubbles or no crashes in their markets. And then there's the other side of the coin. Uh, there's Europe, uh, Canada, the US. They all seem to be really wanting to promote and invest in it and get on board with it. Um, and people who are buying into it are just really not as cautious as people in Asia seem to be. However, that being said, um, China is one of the biggest investors in cryptocurrencies right. um, along with South Korea who I'm going to be talking about today um, and China itself is uh, apart from just being an investor is actually one of the biggest places where people are mining uh, so they have these massive mining warehouses um, as Chris was saying earlier you need lots of computers processing power to mine cryptocurrencies and if you can picture those massive warehouses that Facebook has with other data centers and just think of computers trying to get at Bitcoin um, so because of that, because it's taken such a big hold of China, um, President Xi Jinping, uh, sorry for my pronunciation, uh, is targeting the financial risk in the economy um, following the past 10, 20 years of massive booms and busts in their economy um, in basically every one of their assets. Uh, he just wants a bit of security. So a few laws have been implemented in the last six months, I would say. Uh, in September, it was the first major move uh, that he made was to ban all initial coin offerings. That's crazy. In China. Uh, I don't know if you want to tell them what an initial coin offering is just quickly. Yeah, I'd love to. Yeah. Um, so if you think of a, a, a corporation or a company, so something that's tangible that we have today, when they decide to take their company public, there's something called an initial public offering where their stock now becomes available to other people. Um, and people now use that stock and trade with it in the stock market and have their own basically stake in the company. With cryptocurrency, uh, we've seen a rise of something similar, which is called an initial coin offering. 
So what this does is it kind of acts as a um, venture capital round or a seed funding round, basically is a way of looking at it, for small or mid-sized emerging companies that don't want to rely on a venture, one single soul of venture capitalism. They can basically raise money through these initial coin offerings. Um, to start, yeah. to start the company. Yeah, to start their company. So what happens is, you know, they have their whole uh, technical layout and their roadmap, and uh, they'll they'll release their initial coins at a super low price, and um, you know, in hopes that millions of people will buy this limited amount of coins that they're releasing to the market at a low cost, like twenty cents or a dollar. And the people that buy the the coins are hoping that uh, something similar like that happened with Bitcoin will happen with these coins um, and the price will skyrocket and everybody makes money. So it kind of works in that sense. That's an ICO. But yeah, Marie, continue. Which also kind of ties into that whole bubble idea where we're not really sure how much validity there is and like how fast these... um, like currencies are rising after their initial coin offerings. Right. Um, and if those bubbles will pop, people are skeptical. But yeah. um, so moving forward, uh, they were declared illegal. And um, the government actually went as far as providing refunds to recent investors because uh, some people got caught up in the middle of the laws and um, the institutions aren't really in place there yet for the cryptocurrencies to be providing those refunds on the basis of the... Chinese government's laws. Right, that so, makes sense. Yeah. So um, a second thing that happened was they called on all the local exchanges to stop trading in cryptocurrencies. So you can think of when you go on vacation uh, to Mexico and you go to the mall or your bank and you ask for um, pesos and you give them Canadian money. It kind of works similar, but it's it's kind of in applications online where you're mm-hmm. trading in your currency for um, a cryptocurrency. Um and there's you just can't do that from the Chinese yen or yuan, however you right, pronounce it, right. uh, to cryptocurrencies anymore. The most recent thing happened in January uh, this month, and basically the Chinese government came out saying that they wanted to discourage Bitcoin mining um, because of how energy intensive it is. So they wanted to leverage not only electricity prices in can or sorry in uh, China that are very 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 low but also um, use their land taxes their land use policies uh, environmental regulations and just try to really pressure these companies to get out of China mm-hmm. um, I actually have a pretty cool point to add on there yeah let's um, hear. so m- mining Bitcoin in general you're taking all these all this processing power um, and what happens with Bitcoin and, and some blockchains in general, depends how you design it, is that the more people that are on the network, the more processing power you need. And the more processing power you can harvest is by making those encrypted blocks have even more complex problems. So the more complex the problem, the more processing power you're going to suck. So Bitcoin, as of late, has seen a rise in users so fast that the power that it's drawing from the network is greater than the power used by some like 46 countries. So it's not these 46 countries together, obviously, but it's it's a greater amount of power than basically some countries, which is crazy if you think about. So China's ban on some of the mining 
um, and, and kind of just pushing them out might be for the best. I mean, it's it all depends on how they got how they use their energy, whether it's green energy or whether it's coal. Yeah, actually on that, uh, a lot of China's energy uh, that that is being used to, um, I guess, Mine. power these mining houses yeah. is actually coal energy. And in very recent years, China's made a huge effort to try and be a little more environmental. So they, they really don't like that. That is the cheapest energy in China is coal energy. Uh, some do use more environmental forms, but it's just... Not right. as common. Um, right. And also, um, th so these companies that China's been trying to push out are actually looking at Manitoba and Quebec, um, like Hydro-Quebec, as places to now relocate their mines because of the low prices. Uh, Quebec itself has seen an excess of like 100 terawatt hours over the next year, the next 10 years, sorry. That's how much of a surplus they have. So um, these mining companies are very, very much willing to move to Quebec or Manitoba to, to reap this excess power that they can use. Um, Which we can be grateful with a little more green energy, so maybe a good thing for the earth. If... Right, absolutely. And it, it might be good for our economy, too. I mean, this might be a big shot for Canada. It depends how, how we take it. And how Quebec wants to leverage their natural resources. Right. A federal government. <laughs> um, so... <laughs> Moving on, I had one last point about China, which is kind of interesting. Um, so we mentioned the whole libertarian politics of the West, how uh, Bitcoin, cryptocurrencies are supposed to be this great thing that's going to take down the banking system, the central government ties with uh, financial heads of the world. But the Chinese really don't see it much that way. Uh, Asian culture in general is not is very authoritarian and mm -hmm. very communal, and they don't see that need to rise up against the government systems. Um, we've also seen a lot of great economic developments under a very tightly controlled economy in the last couple of years. Uh, so the way see it is, it they, or sorry, the way that they see it is, it's really just a good investment for them. Right, um, it's like an asset. Yeah, an asset, and that's that. Um, that being said, the government did have a lot of backlash, and it's kind of interesting because it's uh, juxtaposed with the fact that the Chinese central bank. So as you know, China's a communist country. Uh, this mm. is the government's bank. You do. Bank. That now. You do. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was reported in the South China Morning Post that China's central bank is currently developing its own currency. There's a little twist, though, that instead of this decentralized transaction system that requires no intermediary authority, they're actually seeking a way to incorporate blockchain technologies and all of this into the systems that already exist and into right. the banking institutions that already exist. So it's kind of taken that one... 360 and right it's almost like they're saying if you can't beat them join them you know I mean? <laughs> it's a little bit of that yeah yeah that's cool that's i've actually read something pretty similar there's a report that came out a decent while ago i think it was in uh this summer actually or no last summer no this summer is 2017 where singapore has worked with uh the consulting company deloitte to actually try to use distributed ledger technology to create a basically a digital currency. Um, if you've ever been to Singapore, you can tell that there there is a very much a big push to go towards a cashless society. So for whatever purpose this is, you know, whether it's taxes or um, undocumented workers in the country is a big one coming from surrounding Asian countries. Right. Absolutely. Which is definitely an issue nowadays. If if you think about all these countries, mass with, migration. Yeah. Yeah. With mass migration, etc. Um, so I mean, they they they're actively trying to use 
this blockchain technology to create a digital currency that they can track, that's transparent, that's that's visible. And I mean, their ability to take the first step, I think, says a lot about um, being being a leader and what we'll see where that goes the role that governments play in how all of this unfolds right absolutely there's actually uh in preparing for all of this um if you can say that chris and i sound prepared (laughs) we were reading some essays that were put out there on the subject um one about how the government is going to play a very key role in creating standards and a more secure market and one that's very all over the place right now Um, where standards are kind of just in the central leadership of these independent cryptocurrencies. Mm -hmm. So they're hoping that it'll give consumers rights where there aren't any right now um, and will create some healthy competition and some some good standards to foster more investment, if that's what cryptocurrency even needs, uh, to make some people that aren't comfortable right now more comfortable with investing in the whole phenomenon. Right. And I don't, I don't know if we said this before on the podcast or not, but the the total market cap of these cryptocurrencies is hovering currently around somewhere around nine hundred billion dollars. Um, so a lot of people who say it's a scam, a probably misinformed. <laughs> B, um, the amount of money that's going into it is very similar to the dot-com bubble where it it might be a little inflated absolutely but when it comes down it doesn't mean that it's going away it just means that the technology has now settled in so whether you want to be on that that rising you know bull of price and that wave and understanding the technology or i mean you want to see what happens after that's it's totally up to you but um I think it's just important to note that this technology is probably here to stay. Yeah, definitely. And um, there's actually some some other developments in government that are trying to to deal with the fact that it's here to stay and it is going to have lasting effects. Uh, so South Korea, like I mentioned before, um, accounts for 15% of the cryptocurrency trading market. And actually since last Friday, uh, it's Monday today, um, there has been rumors that South Korea is about to ban online currency completely from its market. Right. Uh, backlash to the government, um, 150,000 signatures uh, from citizens who were not happy with this decision. Uh, they crashed the government's website, and now the government's being pressured to find alternatives to the new ban. So people are really dealing with the tax revenue. Um, how to get these people to accurately report their earnings, their capital gains on mm-hmm. tax, on national tax sheets where they don't really have access to this information from the market. Right, absolutely. And we're almost running out of time here, so I'm just going to say one thing as uh, as someone who has a little bit of experience here. Um, if you're trying to invest in something like this from Canada, just understand that when you withdraw your money, it you get taxed on it, you do get taxed on it, and it comes out as capital gains. So, um, I mean, you can Google how... how to report capital gains tax. Um, but it's good to know that at least Canada has a little bit of policy involved in, yeah. in trying to get their foot in the water, at least, with this technology, which is yeah, great to Yeah, and trying to make you not do something illegal by accident. They have some good information out there. Right, absolutely. And if you're a Canadian listening and you are interested in this, check out Canada's uh, report, actually, on something called Project Jasper, which was uh, when they tried to 
uh, start using digital currency for themselves. It was actually one of the first attempts. Didn't go so well, but it is a great read. Um, but yeah, that's it for us, guys. Uh, I'd like to give a shout out to Maraid. Thank you so much for being the first guest on Today in Tech. Thank you for having me. Right on. Uh, so we'll see you guys again here next week uh, on CFRC 101.9 FM. You can hear us on the radio at CFRC.ca. I'm Chris, and thanks for listening.